We're going to continue our study, but also conclude our study on angels tonight, and including on Satan himself. So, but next couple weeks, I want to encourage you, we'll continue our study on, I have a biblical study on uh, Sunday night, on Wednesday nights. So next two weeks, I'm going to do a study, a two-week study on this place God prepared for the devil and his angels. It's called hell. There is so much false teaching, misunderstanding, opinion on this subject called hell. I think it's important what God's people understand about hell. So we're going to have two weeks worth of study on this place called hell. It's going to be next Wednesday night and the following Wednesday night. So please come. I'll have notes you can add to your notebook. We'll have the, on the PowerPoint screen everything. So please uh, join us. Everything you ever wondered, wanted, uh, uh, need to know about this place called hell, please come the next couple of weeks, and we're going to do a thorough study what the Bible says about, <clears throat> about hell. All right, we're going to continue our study tonight on Satan. A quick review of what we covered. We're on, I think we're on point uh, G, the work of Satan. And we've covered these already. It is going to cover the, uh, go through these quickly because you've already hopefully filled these in. We're talking about the work of Satan. He tempts men to sin. How many realize Satan tempts people to sin? Uh, number two, he produces sickness. We saw an example of that of woman in the Bible, but also remember Job become very sick, boils from the crown of his head to the sole of his feet, and that was inflicted upon him by Satan himself with God's permission. So he can produce sickness. Number three, he lays snares and traps for men. He loves to tra- put, get people trapped in doing things, especially in sin, and he does that to men. Number four, he takes the word of God out of hearts. We saw that in the parable of the sower. Remember, the, the sower sowed seed by the wayside, and the Bible said that Satan came and took the word of God out of the hearts lest they should believe and be saved. I'm going through this quickly because we covered this already. Uh, number five, he developed strongholds in the life of believers. How true that is. Satan has a, really a hold in the life of many believers because he's believed Satan's lies and now Satan to get a grip in their life. And he does that especially in the area of uh, sin and the addictions of sin in the many lives of Christians. Many Christians are addicted to certain kinds of sin in their life. And that addiction is a stronghold Satan has in their life. Number six, he blinds minds. Remember, that's his number one objective, to blind the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. Remember, he blinds people's minds, not their eyes. They can have 20-20 vision and still go to hell. He blinds their understanding concerning the gospel. And remember, Satan has a counterfeit gospel, a gospel of good works. And you think about it, most religions, in fact, many so-called Christian religions, preach works for salvation. And, of course, the, the person behind that would be Satan himself. Number seven, he harasses men. And he does that through many different ways. We t- talked about that already. But that's another work of Satan, the life of many believers. He harasses men. And number eight, he accuses men before God. We saw that last time we were together in the life of Job. Remember, he, had jo- he accused Job of serving God for the blessings it brought and God said, Satan said, you take away all his blessings and he'll curse you to your face. And God said, Satan, you can take away his blessings if you can't touch him. And of course, Satan, excuse me, Satan was wrong. Job did not curse God. 
And then the next thing, it says skin for skin, you take away his health. He'll curse you. And of course, God allowed him to take his health also. He did not do that. So uh, I always wonder what Satan accuses me of, or maybe what he accuses you of. And so, uh, but anyway, you know, I, I did this. I, I don't know. I, many, most of you know, I've said many, many times of my heart attack and why I, God allowed me to have a heart attack. I don't know. Maybe Satan accused me. If I had a heart attack, I'd quit serving the Lord. I, I'm going to prove him wrong. <laughs> I'm not going to give up serving the Lord. God's too good to me. And uh, I want to say, as um, uh, Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. So I'm going to leave my health in God's hands. I'm going to do the best I can to take care of it. But I don't know if that's the case at all, but I'm just going to purpose, no matter what happens to me physically, I'm going to keep on serving the Lord. And I hope that's your case too. And many of us get older and we have bad health, but we need to purpose while we're in good health that when that time comes, we're going to keep on serving the Lord. I've seen many Christians turn their back on God because of what God allowed in their life physically. And I know many of you have too. So purpose... Even now, while you have good health, say, Lord, I'm going to trust you that you can say, I want to be in good health to the day I die. But if I'm not, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to keep on serving you. All right, number nine is what we left off from last time. He gains advantage over men. He gains advantage over men. And the verse I want to look at tonight is in 2 Corinthians In chapter 2, verse 11, it says here, verse, chapter 2, verse 11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his what? Devices. Let me ask you, are you ignorant of Satan's devices? If you are, he can get advantage over you. Paul was saying here, he will not get advantage over us in our lives because we're not ignorant of his devices. So I'd like to take a little time to talk about some of his devices. What are the devices Satan uses to defeat us, to trick us, to cause us to fall? I'd like to look at several of them tonight and give us an extra time here. And I go to Genesis chapter 3, please. Let's look at the temptation of Eve. And we can see the devices that Satan uses in the lives of Christians. Because if you're ignorant of these devices, then you are susceptible for Satan to get advantage over you. And so I think it's important for us to understand this. And we can say, as Paul said, lest he should get advantage over me, I'm not ignorant of his devices. I understand how he works in my life. And when I see it going on, I can see that Satan is the cause of the source of that. Here we have the temptation of Eve. And we're going to see three devices here that Satan used in the life of Eve and also Adam, but here primarily Eve, to bring her to sin against God. And the first one in Genesis 3, verse 1, write down the word doubt. Doubt. One of the devices Satan will use to cause Christians to doubt God. In chapter 3, verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And, of course, the serpent was Satan. It said, And he, the serpent, said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And notice, here's what, Satan puts a question mark where God puts a period. Otherwise, God says, you shall not eat every tree. You can have every tree but one tree you cannot eat of. And he said, did God really say that? So he puts a question mark where God puts a 
period. He may say to you, did God really forgive that sin you did? Remember that sin you did that was so awful that you felt so good, but did God really forgive you? And, and so in the Bible says, if we confess our sin, he's what? He's faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So basically, he'll cause you to doubt God. Did God really forgive you that? Did God, does God really love you? If God loves you, why did he allow that to happen in your life? And so he calls you to doubt God. So when you begin to doubt God and his word, realize the source. That's the device Satan uses in your life. The next one is not only doubt, disbelief. Disbelief. Look in verse 2, please. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And before any further, notice even Eve added to the word of God. God didn't say, don't touch it. He said, don't eat it. <laughs> now, maybe she was being a little more further from it. I don't want to get involved in eating it. I don't want to even touch it. But God didn't say, don't touch it. He said, thou shalt not eat thereof. The day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And so basically, in verse 4, here's the disbelief. The serpent said unto Satan, yea, you shall not surely die. I was God says, yes, you will. Satan says, no, you won't. And sometimes Satan will tempt you with sin. And the Bible says, be sure your sin will what? Find you out. Satan says, no, it won't. You can get by with it. Nobody knows about it. Just go ahead and do it. I mean, you're in a privacy in your home. You're, you're all, no one has seen, can see what you're watching on the computer. Just go ahead and watch that. Nobody's going to find out. God says, yes, they will. <laughs> and so basically, disbelief. God said, if you eat this fruit, you're going to die. Satan said, no, you won't. So there's doubt and disbelief. Basically, what God clearly says in his word, Satan says, that's not true. And, and so, uh, you know, the Bible says there is pleasure in sin, but for how long? For a season. And Satan says, hey, as long as you want to have pleasure. No, you can't. It'll come home. Basically, disbelief. Number two, number three, excuse me, distrust distrust. The first advice, doubt. The second one, disbelief. Distrust. By the way, this is not in your notes. I hope you write it down, a little extra. This is a freebie for you. Get your money's worth tonight. Distrust. Verse 5. Satan says, For God doth know that the day you eat thereof, your eyes shall be open, and you shall be as what? God's. Knowing good and evil. You know what he's saying here? God's holding out on you. He knows when you eat this fruit, you're going to be just like him. You're going to become a god. That's what the Mormons teach, by the way. The Mormons teach, if you follow the, uh, the teachings of Joseph Smith, you'll become a god. And so you shall be as God knowing. In other words, you'll have greater knowledge, and you'll be a god yourself. And so that, well, that's distrust. You can't trust God. And now Satan, to me, the reason God tells us to stay away from sin because the heartache, the ruin, the pain it can bring. And Satan says, no, it won't. I mean, you can enjoy it and get by with it. And God's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to enjoy that, what that can bring. Go out and enjoy yourself. So he calls you to distrust God. You can't trust God. So doubt, disbelief, and distrust. These are three uh, devices Satan will use. Now, look in verse 6, please. Let me, we covered this in a sermon several weeks back. 
But while I want to touch on this, in verse 6 of chapter 3, another area of Satan's devices is you and I need to understand how he tempts us. In temptation, there's three areas of temptation Satan uses in the life of the believer. He did it in the life of Eve, he did it in the life of Christ, and he'll do it in your life. In Genesis 3, verse 6, please. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for what? Food. Read on. And that it was pleasant to the eyes. Read on. And a tree to be desired to make one wise. Then it says, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband with her and he did eat. Now go with me quickly now to 1 John chapter 2, please. 1 John chapter 2. Here are the three areas of temptation that we see right here in the life of Eve that would also be in your life too. So every temptation you and I receive will fall in one of these three categories. And if you remember, I preached on this about three or four weeks ago. But since we're on this, these are devices Satan will use to gain uh, victory over you. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, 216, here's three areas of temptation, and we can apply them to Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. 1 John 2, 16, John says, for all that is in the world. By the way, who's the God of this world? Satan is. We found that he's the prince of this world, the God of this world. So all this in this world, notice three things, the lust of the what? Flesh. Number two, the lust of the eyes. Number three, the pride of life. Remember those three things, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Now, I don't know if you still got it. Back in Genesis 3, 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh, her flesh desired that. And also is pleasant to the eyes, lust of the eyes. And then, and the tree desired to make one wise, the pride of life. So there's three years of temptation Eve experienced and gave in. In fact, Christ did too. You read about the temptation of Christ in the wilderness, the same three areas. So every temptation you receive as a Christian, you can ask yourself, when you're tempted, is that lust of my flesh? Is that the lust of my eyes or the pride of my life? Which one is it? And so you can see how Satan's work on you. All right, let's move on. Next, number 10. Number 10. Here, he hinders God's servants. Satan hinders God's servants. In 1 Thessalonians 2.18, Paul said this, Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again. But Satan hindered us. Doesn't tell how he did it. Maybe it was just people in his way, using other people, things in life, maybe the weather, I don't know. But Satan desired to come to the church of Thessalonica several times, but Satan hindered him from coming. And maybe it's something you desire to do. Maybe you want to witness to someone. And somehow something hinders you from going to share the gospel with that individual. And so Satan will hinder us. Number 11. Number 11. He sifts God's servants. I'll explain that to you. He sifts God's servants. In Luke twenty two thirty one, And the Lord said unto Simon, Simon. By the way, what's another word for Simon? Si- who is Simon's name? Peter. Okay, Peter. 
Simon, Simon, or Peter, Peter, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as what? And what does that mean? What do you mean, he said, Peter, Satan, evidently Satan requested God to have Peter. And just like he requested maybe the life and the life of Job. But he desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Of course, the next verse says, excuse me, Jesus said, but I prayed for you. But what, how, what does it mean to sift you as wheat? Now, sifting wheat, many of you know what that is. In the, in the Jewish time, a Jewish farmer, once he uh, uh, picked his wheat, he'd take it up to a threshing floor. A threshing floor usually on a high mountain or hill where a lot of wind was and put all the grain on the hard surface of a rock. Then he'd take some tool or some, like a pitchfork and pitch the grain up in the air. And wind would take it, and wind would blow away the chaff, the part that was useless, the part was not good, and that which was good would fall back to the ground. And he would do it over and over again. Usually on a windy day, he would sift the wheat, throwing all the grain up in the air. The wind would come and separate the chaff, and the good would stay on the ground. So after a period of time, all the chaff is separated. Only the good grain was left on the floor, the threshing floor. Then he'd pick all that up and use it to feed his animals and cook by so what does it mean that Satan desires to sift you as wheat? I believe what he does is that he brings temptation. Satan, uh, at the beginning, does not know your weak areas. How many of you have weak areas? Would you be honest tonight, weak areas you struggle with? Satan? So he wants to find out what it is. So he'll begin to sift you like wheat. He'll begin to blow the winds of temptation more and more and try to find out what area you're weak in. And if that didn't work, he'll try another temptation. They didn't work trying to the temptation. All of a sudden, now, ah, I got her. Ah, I found her. When he finds your temptation, your weakness, then he's going to use that as an area to defeat you. He may tempt you in an area that you have no problem. For example, uh, stealing. Do you have any problem with stealing? Maybe if you went to somebody's house and went looking and you saw a $100 bill on the counter, would you be tempted to get that? Probably most of you would not. Because I mean, that is a tempt you. But some people would. Now, you may, you may be put in a situation like that, and Satan tempts you. But all of a sudden, that doesn't bother you, you have a temptation. He said, that's not going to work. I'm going to try another area. So he tries different areas until he finds your weakness. That's what he means. He said, Peter, Satan has desired to have you and sift you as wheat and find where you are weak. And, of course, we know where Peter was weak is that when he felt threatened physically, he denied the Lord. When you feel threatened physically, would you deny the Lord? That may not be an area that you struggle with, but it was Peter's. How many times did Peter deny the Lord? Three times. So he found his area and used it to defeat him. Of course, the Lord prayed for him. So basically, sifting his wheat is Satan trying to find your weakness, and when he finds that, use that to defeat you in your Christian life. Number 12. Number 12. He holds, controls this world. We've covered this already. Another work of Satan. He holds or controls the world, the philosophy that which we live in, the world system. A verse in it, 1 John 5, 19. Now, we already know the Bible says Satan is the God of this world. But here it says, and we know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. That phrase, life and wickedness, literally means in the hands of the wicked one, 
or under the power of the waking one. We know this world we live in is Satan's domain. This is his territory. When he was kicked out of heaven, he come to this earth, and now he has dominion of this earth. Remember, I, we talked about it many times when he took us in the temptation of Christ, he took him to the high mountain and showed him the kings of the world. He said, I'll give them to you if you fall down and worship me. And of course, they were his to give. He's the God of this world. So you and I need to realize we're behind enemy lines. We live in Satan's territory. And we don't think you can go through life without temptation because you'll end, uh, that won't happen until you get to heaven. There'll be no temptation in heaven. But basically, because the whole what he holds controls this world. And boy, cannot we see him what's going on in the United States of America. All the things the United States of America are doing now that once was wrong, considered. Uh, somebody said, what used to slither behind back alleys is now being played in downtown streets. Things that you and I said, well, this is filth, this is wrong. Now they say it's everybody all accepted. It's politically acceptable. We see Satan at work in a tremendous way. We've got to move on. All right, letter H, the limitations of Satan. We saw the work of Satan. This is a new point, the limitations of Satan. Satan has limitations. And what are they? First of all, he is not omnipotent. He is not omnipotent. What does omnipotent mean? It means all-powerful. Who is all-powerful? There's only one person, and that's God himself. God is omnipotent. Satan is powerful, but he's not all-powerful. We understand he's much more powerful than you and I. We cannot stand against him. And we talked about, of all the angels, the most powerful creature God created was Satan, Lucifer. Even the other angels understand. Remember, when Michael went up against Lucifer, he didn't go in his own strength, so the Lord rebuked thee, because he did not stand a chance against Satan. And by the way, you cannot either, so don't even try. Uh, our weapons are the word of God. Next. All, basically, Satan, though he's powerful, he's subject to the word of God. He's subject to God. Remember, in the life of Job, Satan could do nothing without God's permission. He could not touch him physically, could not take his possessions without God's permission. He can't do the same to you. You belong to God. And by the way, how does Satan know you belong to God? What is it in your life that is, may I use the word, God's mark of ownership, that you are God's property? The, uh, the Holy Spirit, exactly. The presence of the Holy Spirit. When you were saved, the Holy Spirit, what? Indwelt you. He lives inside you. The Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he's in the world. And Satan can walk through this world. He knows exactly who is saved and who's not saved by the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. That is God's mark of ownership. May I use the word? That's his brand. And God, Satan, God saying, Satan, he's mine. Can't touch him. But Satan may request of God to have you, as he did Peter, as he did Job. He may do it with you also, but he cannot do it without God's permission and without God's grace and strength for you to endure it. There is no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But where will the temptation? God will make a way to what? Escape. Next, his limitation is not omnipotent. He's not omniscient. What does that word mean? This is another attribute of God, means all-knowing. There's nothing that God does not know. He knows everything. That's the reason we can trust him. 
He knows what tomorrow is going to bring. He knows what next year is going to bring. He knows everything. Someone once said this, did it ever occur to you that nothing ever occurred to God? <laughs> doesn't surprise you. Nothing surprises God because he knows everything. So Satan knows a lot more than you do. So he is wise, too wise for us, but not all wise. You understand that? So compared to you and I, we are nothing compared to him, intellectually or physically powerful, nothing. But compared to God, he's nothing. So we have someone greater than him living inside of us. So his limitation, he's not omnipotent, he's not omniscient. Are you with me so far? Number three, he is not omnipresent. That is another attribute of God. What does that mean? Everywhere at one time. Omnipresent means everywhere at one time. He can only be one place at one time. He is not everywhere. But his followers, talking about his angels, demons, are. He can move rapidly from one place to another, but he's not every place at one time. If Satan is here, he's not in another country. If he's in another country, he's not here. Now, by the way, remember he has a, a lot of demons who does his work. And they will do the same thing he does. But the demons and Satan are not omnipotent. They can only be one place at one time. That's true of, of uh, Satan. But we have a God that's every place all the time. He, God, our God is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. Look at this verse here concerning Satan. Jesus said, and he said unto them, I beheld Satan as what? Lightning fall from heaven. Tells you how fast he is. So he may not be here. He may be in somebody, but he can be here at a moment's notice. That's how fast he is. He's as lightning, the Bible says. But anyway, that's Satan's limitations. All right, let's go on. The, la the last point here, the believer's attitude towards Satan. What should my attitude be? We've talked about Satan, all he does, how powerful he is, and who he is. So what should the believer's attitude, should we be afraid and cower in the corner because of how powerful he is? The answer to that is no. The believer's attitude towards Satan, first of all, number one, redemptive rights are, rights are to be claimed by the believer. I'll explain it to you. Redemptive rights, the rights we have through salvation is what that means, are to be claimed by the believer. Redemptive rights are to be claimed by the believer. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Revelation, please. Revelation. Revelation chapter 12. Let me explain to you what I mean by, let me explain to you what I mean by redemptive rights. These are rights you and I have as Christians because of the salvation we have in Christ Jesus. And we ought to claim them when Satan attacks. Revelation 12. We're going to begin in verse 10. We've covered this last week how Satan accuses the brethren that we're going to take up, uh, go to verse 11. Revelation 12. Do you have Revelation 12? In verse 10, it said, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God it said, and the power of Christ is Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. We talked about already, Satan's the accuser. Right now, though he cannot abide in heaven, 
he has access to heaven. We saw that in the book of Job. He goes before God to accuse the brethren, and then he has to leave. He lost his position there. But here in Revelation, this is yet future. There's coming a time when he'll actually lose all access to heaven. The accuser is cast down. But look in verse 11. And they, talking about the brethren, those that are accused by Satan, they overcame him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of the testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. This is speaking specifically during the tribulation period. But notice, first of all, when Satan accuses the believer of sin, of doing what's wrong, what uh, right do we have to be able to stand against that? The blood of Jesus Christ. When you uh, confess your sin, he's faithful and just to what? To cleanse and forgive you of your sin by the blood of Christ. So the blood of Christ allows me to overcome anything he does, temptation, even accuses us. My friend, the Bible says we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is there in our behalf. When he accuses you before God, the advocate, Jesus Christ, speaks up, and he may have to say, yes, what Satan say about my child is correct, but it's under the blood. It's been washed and cleansed by the blood, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. It goes on to say, and by the word of the testimony. In the context here, during the tribulation period, many, many, many Christians will be persecuted and killed. And the way they defeat Satan, though they may die because of it, they hold fast their testimony of Christ. If you, if it was against the law to be a Christian, and being found to be a Christian was a death penalty, would you be willing to vocally say, I'm a Christian? Would you be willing to say that I believe in Christ as my Savior? Or would you do like Peter and deny that? And the way these overcame Satan is by the testimony. They gave testimony, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He is my Savior and will cost many of them our lives. And I believe the Lord tarries. We may see that in our country. is getting worse and worse all the time for believers. And, and so, uh, word of testimony. But also... It said they love not their lives unto death. In other words, they were not fearful. If it's going to cost me my life, so be it. I will not deny Christ. And so we live in a country right now that is not a pressure on us right now. It may be in the sphere or the uh, people you hang around with. Maybe some friends are very uh, uh, derogatory towards believers and say things about Christians. And you may be afraid to speak up for Christ. I don't know. Many Christians do not speak up for Christ for fear of rejection. But uh, rejection is not the same thing as being killed. <laughs> there is a time coming when believers will be slaughtered for their faith. And I hope that doesn't happen to us, but it may happen to our children if the Lord tarries. But, uh, but if you would go now, look in verse 12 of, of the same chapter. It says in verse 12, Therefore rejoice ye heavens, and ye that dwell on the earth, dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth, and the seal for the devils come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he, that he hath but a short time. Satan knows when his end's coming. And we know that during the tribulation period, 
at the end of the tribulation period, he'll be taken, chained, and put in a bottomless pit. He knows that time's coming. So during this time, he, when he's kicked out of heaven for good, he's very, very angry. And he takes it out on Christians. And it says there's rejoicing in heaven, for there's going to be grief on the earth. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth, it says there. For the devils come down unto you, having great wrath. He's very angry because he knows he hath but a short time. He knows his end's coming soon. All right, let's go on. My time is running out. Number two, the second attitude a believer should have, not only the rights we have in salvation, to claim the blood of Christ when we sin, knowing we can be forgiven. Number two, full equipment is to be appropriated by the believer. Full equipment. And the equipment many of you know, in Ephesians 6.10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. In fact, if you would please, go ahead and turn to this verse with me. Go ahead and turn. What I'm going to do, this won't be for maybe about a month or so, I'm going to do a series of messages on Wednesday night on the armor of God. On the armor of God. To follow up with this, in Ephesians 6, turn to me there, please. We're going to look at more than we're going to look at verse 12 and so on. Ephesians. In fact, I need to turn there myself. Ephesians chapter 6. The verse we're going to begin with, of course, is verse 10 there. Ephesians 6.10. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of what? His might. But read on. How do you do that? Verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The word wild means trickery. And so listen to me, please. No place in the Bible are you ever commanded to attack the devil. You're not to do that. You can stand when he attacks you. It says stand. We're going to mention the word stand several times here. So the believer is not to go out there and attack Satan and the demons. We are to live for Christ. And when he attacks us, we can stand strong. But you do that, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God to be able to stand against the wild devil. Let me ask you a question. What is the armor of God? There are six pieces of the armor. Do you know what they are? If you don't, how in the world can you put it on? <laughs> if you don't know what the armor is, when Satan comes, God's given us defensive weapons, defensive armor when the attacks come, so we can stand strong. Look, and he says it again, verse 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Verse 13, wherefore, because of that, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day, having done all to what? Stand. Now, we're going to do a series of messages on this on Wednesday nights. Probably it won't be until February of next year. We're going to do that on the whole armor of God. So you can know what the armor is, uh, how to put it on, and how to wear it on a daily basis when the temptation comes. So many believers... So, by the way, listen carefully. If you do not put on God's armor, when temptation comes, you're standing against him in your own strength. And you're defeated every time. So God's given you a way to stand strong against him by putting on. So I encourage you to read over that every day for the next several weeks. And then we're going to do a study on what it is. 
and how to apply it. That's coming up uh, very soon. All right, we're just about done here. So attitude, claim redemptive rights. Number two, full equipment to be appropriated. And number three, vigilance is to be exercised. Vigilance is to be exercised. It says right here in verse 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be what? Vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. The word devour means to control. So remember, we're living in Satan's territory. This is his area. And he's walking about to him. Remember when God asked Satan, which cometh thou? He said, I've come from walking to and fro throughout all the earth. And so this is his domain. This is his, I use the word stomping grounds. And he's walking to and fro as a roaring lion, seeking who may devour. So the Bible says, Christian, your job is to stay alert, to keep awake. That's what the word sober and me vigilant means, to wake up. Realize there's temptation all around you. And you need to be ready for that. Find out what, know what your area of temptation is, your weakness is. And, and then uh, defend yourself and find scripture that deals with that. All right. Number four, the last one. Resistance is to be made by the believer. Resistance to Satan is to be made by the believer. The verse James 4, 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist who? The devil. And he will what? Now, look over, please. He will not do it right away. We have an example. In the Bible of a person who resisted Satan, temptation, he was tempted three times, and he won, to me, he defeated Satan each time, and then Satan left. Who was that person? Jesus Christ. And he quoted scripture every time. After the third temptation, it said Satan left. But he came back <laughs> later on. So resist the devil. So you need to do it, uh, do it with scripture. And he will leave you. He will flee with you. But you ought to put in, if you want to write your notes, put after that, he'll come back. <laughs> he will come back again. And another verse on this, 1 Peter 5, 9, we'll wrap it up with this. It says, whom resist. Now, 5, 9, if you go back, let me go back a couple verses. Here's 5.8. Look at 5.8, then we'll go to 5.9. Be sober, be vigilant, for, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking who may devour. Then verse 9, whom resist? Who's the whom there? Satan. Resist Satan, because remember, he's walking to and fro out the earth, seeking someone to devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in this world. In other words, the temptations, afflictions you have from Satan, other believers experience that. Do not think you're alone temptation. And if, remember the Bible says, for no temptation taken you, but such is what? Common to man. So you're tempted, so am I, so is everybody around you. And so the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren, but resist him and he will flee. All right. I believe we are done on our study of angels. If you missed some of the pages or maybe missed tonight, 
I believe all this, is this on the website, Brother? Yes, it is. So all this has been live streamed. You can go on the church website and go back and get the other lessons and fill in the blanks if you want to. And so usually it takes three or four days for, for tonight to get on the website. But if maybe several weeks back you missed a certain study, go to fbclol.org and you'll find the church website and where they have messages and you can find uh, this uh, live stream and uh, I'm on there teaching this on there too. Okay, now remember, please come back in the next couple of weeks. Though I'm done with our study of angels, please come back. I want to sh- teach you again what the Bible teaches about the place called hell. There is so much misunderstanding. There's so much opinion. There's so much false teaching concerning hell. And I think it's important for God's people to know what the Bible says. And so please join us the next two weeks. We're going to do a thorough study, the both Old and New Testament, on this place called hell and understand all about what it is and, and uh, why people go there. So please join us. All right. It's 757. <laughs> Let's bow together, please. Oh, yes. Everybody, uh, in the back in the back is the tennis sheet. Make sure you get that when you leave and fill that out. God bless you. Let's bow together, please. Father in heaven, we have thoroughly enjoyed our study on this topic of angels, these wonderful creatures that were created by you. And Father, we know that many of them there are ministers there to us and uh, for, to be a blessing to us. Yet we know there are some that want to defeat us. Satan and his demons are out to destroy Christianity and Christians. Father, thank you what we learned from the Word of God and how we can stand against the walls of the devil. Father, I ask each one here your blessing upon them, that, Father, they'd go back over the notes on the study of angels and do a thorough study and look up the verses again and do a thorough study and understand these wonderful creatures called angels. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.